Amen. You can be seated. And as already made mention, the uh, kiddos are in here with us today, the school-age kids. Um, our typical uh, practice is for them to leave out, but we keep them in, uh, the kids in here with us, uh, the first, let me fix that, the first uh, Sunday of the month, and um, just for them to worship with their parents and for them to um, kind of get in the habit of hearing the word uh, taught and, um, and preached. And uh, kids, if you're in here with us, you received a little packet when you came in. Um, and that's for you to kind of, uh, some coloring things in there, some places to take notes. And uh, I would love to see a picture that you might draw based upon maybe something we're learning today. Um, our focus today is going to be on prayer. So we're starting a four-week initiative uh, focused on prayer called the By Name Initiative. And um, we're going to challenge you to pray by name specifically for certain people for the next 30 days. And you'll get more of that at the very end. I just kind of wanted to set the stage for that. And I also need to uh, repent, I think, out of just the very beginning of this message uh, for not emphasizing the topic and subject of prayer more than we do, uh, more than I've done. By nature, I am a strategy, let's get to work kind of guy. Um, as a matter of fact, I can only sit in a meeting so long before I'm thinking, okay, when are we going to start doing something uh, to accomplish all these things that we've talked about? And for far too long and in too many situations, I've relied on strategy and my own strength more than I have seeking the power of God through prayer. Since January, we've been praying as a staff, uh, very intently and focused as a staff. We've been um, praying. They've been very sweet times. Uh, we've been praying with friends. Um, if you're in some kind of other community group, hopefully you've gathered to pray. Uh, we had a season of prayer centered around the, uh, the Lenten season leading up to Easter um, in which we fasted and prayed, and God has done some incredible things, certainly so. But that is not, uh, this is not any time for us to stop um, praying, but only press further into the discipline and practice of prayer. I really do believe that God has much more in store for us in the coming weeks and months, but only as we are committed to asking God to do it. And I say all that really to say this, that I'm not an expert or professional when it comes to praying. Um, I've learned a lot about it in my years as a pastor, as a Jesus follower, so I'm a fellow learner here. Um, and hear that as part of being a pastor is just being a lead repenter, um, and I, I pray you hear that as we, uh, not just me, but Jason and Weston included, um, get up and teach the word to you. And this week, as I've studied, it's just been overwhelming seeing these dots connected through the book of Acts on the subject matter of prayer. So saying all that, would you say just a quick prayer with me as you just pray? Would you ask God to speak to you as we, as we talk? To convict of sin, maybe where's needed, to encourage you where you're weak and weary, Maybe you got a lot of questions about God and Jesus and the Christian faith. Maybe you would just ask God to show himself real and mighty. Maybe something weighing on your heart this morning and you're just asking God to come through in a supernatural way. Father, as we open your word today, may it... May the seed of your word be planted on fertile ground and may it produce a change in our hearts and lives that is lasting. And Lord, the things we're asking, would we pray in all faith that you would bring those to bear if it's your will. 
And if it's not, would you remind us of the grace that you've already given us and the love that you displayed for us on the cross? It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. I love how uh, kids pray. Maybe you've noticed this with your own kids. We have a little family devotion time pretty frequently, and we'll have our kids pray. And a lot of times Hudson is reluctant to pray. Doesn't know exactly what to say. Sometimes he's very willing to pray. Just a couple weeks ago, we were praying, and he just prayed and asked God for more candy. That was like his whole prayer, like, God, if I could just have more candy. I think it's, God, would you let, would you let my dad let me have more candy? I think it's something like that. And I think all of us pray in, in different ways. I just love the honesty that little kids have. And that's really how God wants us to come to him, in just honest, real ways. If you look at the psalmist, you'll see this roller coaster of emotion of sometimes he's on the mountaintop and he's thanking God for just, just being incredible and awesome. And some whole chapters are this like uh, lament and he's in anguish and grief and he didn't understand why this is happening. And he cries out to God with that same that same honesty. And I love that. When we look at the book of Acts, we see, uh, we're going to be in chapter 12 today, but we're really going to dance all over uh, a scripture. In Acts chapter 12, we've seen the birth of the church, the movement, uh, the edges of Christianity has now moved past Jerusalem into the Gentile world. The church at Antioch has been started. We're going to see more of them even next week. But look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And he saw that it pleased the Jews. This is a classic politician here. He saw that it pleased the Jews, and so he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, speaking of Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. I don't know if you got a pen or something, but underline that last little phrase. But earnest prayer was made for him. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, this is no strange scene, the church praying. As a matter of fact, this has been the life of the church from this point on. And you can uh, read the word prayer or them speaking of this act of communication with God, I mean, dozens and dozens of times through the book of Acts. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, also the author of Luke's gospel, is trying to paint a picture for us that to live a Christian life is to live a life of prayer. He repeatedly, Luke does, reminds us of how seriously these early believers took their privilege and responsibility of prayer. And I want to I just blow past some of these. So if you're a note taker, uh, they'll be on the screen and you can maybe jot them down. I can send you these notes later if you would like. Acts 1.14, we open up the book of Acts of these people praying for direction. It says in, uh, in verse 14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Ten verses later in verse 24, they're praying before they choose the 12th disciple to replace Judas. In chapter 2, verse 42, they're devoted to prayer. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Chapter 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word in boldness. They were praying for boldness in spite of persecution. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostles say, listen, we've got to make time to pray. And thus the deacons were started. Again, a few verses later of chapter 6, they're praying before choosing these deacons. And it says again and again, you'll see this, every time they pray, God does this like incredible thing. The, the church grows In Acts chapter 9 and verse 40, they're praying for a miracle. Peter praying for Tabitha to come back to life. And Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, Cornelius, it says, was a devout man who prayed continually to God. In verse 4 of the same chapter, the angel acknowledged that God heard his prayers. It says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Again, in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter's on the rooftop praying chapters 10 and 11 together it's all about this Cornelius and the gospel going to the Gentiles and prayer surrounded every aspect of the crossing of the gospel to the Gentiles this new people group in Acts chapter 12 this is our text for today they're praying for the release of Peter from prison says an earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church We haven't gotten to this yet but I want to give you a preview in Acts chapter 13 there they are fasting and praying in the church of Antioch In Acts chapter 14, they're praying before appointing elders in these early churches. In Acts chapter 16, they're praying in prison, ultimately resulting in the conversion of the jailer's household and family. I love this. In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 36, they're praying when departing from the church at Ephesus praying that God would use them in incredible ways. In Acts 21, the church is praying over Paul, commending him to a pretty dangerous situation and certain imprisonment to take the gospel to dark places. In Acts 22, Paul's praying in the temple, receiving guidance. In Acts 28, praying for healing. And on and on we could go. That's not the whole picture. I just hope you see the narrative through that the church was always praying in all sorts of prayers. They're praying for power. They're praying for healing. They're praying prayers of thanksgiving. They're praying for blessings over others. They're praying uh, while they're walking through just very grievous situations they're praying by themselves they're praying in small groups they're praying in large groups they're praying in houses they're praying on rooftops they're praying beside the sick they're praying in formal ways in the temple all they knew to do was pray the early church knew the power that came from prayer I mean, this is how it all started. Weren't they gathered together praying and then Pentecost happened? But even before that, they had seen this in the life of Jesus so much so that the disciples come back to Jesus and ask him, teacher, teach us to pray. And here's the point. If you don't have a prayer life, then you don't have a true Christian life defined as Christian life. The Christian life begins with prayer and is continued in prayer. It begins with prayer. Scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's prayer. We're calling on God's name. Think about it. You began the Christian life by calling out to the Lord in prayer. And then your Christian life is sustained with prayer. Not to have a prayer life is not to have the Christian life. Our prayer life actually is the greatest measure of how real and how valued God is to us. D.A. Carson, a theologian, says that if you really want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask them to tell you about his or her private prayer life. It's the one thing most Christians are woefully deficient in. 
I didn't put this quote on the screen, but he goes on to say, you want to embarrass the church even more, ask the pastors the same question. If we don't pray, we either are so arrogant that we think that we can do this alone or we're so disillusioned about the nature of the Christian life just in and of itself. At its most basic level, the Christian life is a praying life. And you see this with the church. When they're in trouble, they pray. When they're worried, they pray. When they're sick, they pray. When they're thankful, they pray. When they're worshiping, they pray. When they're with each other, they're, they're praying. When they're alone, they're praying. In every instance, in every situation, all they knew to do was pray. It says in verse 5, again, so Peter's in prison. You kind of get this picture and earnest prayers being made for him. Let me read the rest of the passage, and then we'll hopefully apply a few truths to us today. So you, you get the scene, right? They're in the, they're in the house praying. It says in, in verse 6, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, that is, bring him out to kill him, on that very night... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Remember that, that, that Peter and John had, a few chapters before, had slipped out of prison. And so to make sure this doesn't happen again, we've, we've added some extra guards at the doors and actually chained to him. And I love, too, that it says that Peter is just fast asleep. Um, yeah, like, yeah, he, just, he just doesn't care. In verse 7, the point is, it's amazing the peace of God that can transcend even the most difficult situations. And behold, in verse 7, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side. This isn't like, like a little poke. The Greek is like so emphatic here. Like he smacked Peter. And at Luke, uh, the author, gets a little humor out of this in this place and in a few others. You can imagine the early church telling this, retelling the story again and again. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, for he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish people, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When they realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and in her joy, she did not open the gates, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing outside at the gates. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it must be his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. They started throwing this party, and he, he tries to quiet them down. But motioning to them with a hand to be silent, 
he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, these, I tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and he went to another place. I love verse 18. I don't want to miss it. And when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. This incredible group of people just started praying. And they, they weren't even the apostles. This wasn't like, this wasn't Jerusalem headquarters here. No, this was just one of the small groups that were just gathered together with a heart heavy for Peter. And they were praying. From all appearances, this was an incredibly hopeless situation. I mean, he had chains and soldiers chained to him and soldiers inside the cell and soldiers outside the cell guarding the door. To make matters worse, James had already been killed. Peter, James, and John were, were the were the three that were so close to Jesus, those that were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, those that saw all these things. James had already been killed. Knowing that Peter's death was all but a sure thing, unless God did some kind of intervention. So the church knew this, and they believed that prayer worked, and they started thinking back to Jesus had taught them to pray and persevere and pray and to be persistent and pray. And so that's what they did. They gathered together and prayed. Just because this was a hopeless situation in man's strength, they knew nothing was impossible for God. That prayer is what links us up with God. They knew that God had never lost his power. And the only tool they had was prayer. I think about that in contrast to, to us. I get bad news even on the church side of things, and I start to strategize in my head and think, okay, well, then we need, to, we need to call this person and we need to send this person. When the immediate reaction, my reaction, should be the first thing that we do is pray. When you get bad news, you pray. When you get good news, you pray. You just, our life should be one of prayer, to pray even without ceasing, Scripture tells us to. There wasn't much strategy that would have helped the early church. They had no money. They had no glorious conferences. They had no political power. They had no lobbyists. They had no buildings. They had no people in high places. They had no clout in the community. All they had was prayer, and that's all that they needed. All they had was prayer, and that was all that they needed. And seeing this and their attitude in such contrast with most of us and the churches that we try to build... These people were living by faith and not by sight. If there's any message of the scripture, it's don't look at what you see, but look at what God might do. Again, it's hard to wrap up all the, all the scripture on prayer in just a few weeks, and there's no way we're going to do it, but... I want us to see just at least three things. There's more than that in this passage. We could probably have ten points, but... Uh, you don't want to be here to two o'clock. So let's look at three things just quickly that we see, three important things we see about this early church and their praying. First, they prayed with passion. Literally, the word used for them in verse five was earnest prayer. 
It's not a word even in the English that we use too often, earnestly doing anything. It's the same word used of Jesus when he was praying in the garden. You remember that? This incredible scene of Jesus about to head to the cross and he's literally uh, praying so intently and so earnestly that blood is coming from his face. Some of your translations might say the word fervently or without ceasing. Earnest is the best, but the way the sentence is written and in the context, maybe we should say continuous, fervent prayer. The word literally means earnest or fervent, literally means to stretch or strain. Maybe some of you are familiar with exercise. And when you've given it all you got, you give it a little bit more. Most of us, when we give it all we got, we stop. And that doesn't take very much for me, right? Just beginning. This is that, this is that, that last 10%. This is giving everything to very, literally means to strain or stretch yourself in praying. You can see the physical positioning maybe of these people as, as they're on their knees, as they lay prostrate, maybe some standing with their hands in the air, beseeching God, praying, asking God that he would do this incredible thing. And they're earnestly praying Did you know that prayer is the real battlefield of the world? The real battlefield where the decisive events of time and history are decided is in the faithful group of followers of the Lord who are on their knees praying and crying out to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is the kind of prayer that they're taking. This is the, this is the kind of prayer that's happening in their home. They prayed with passion. This is not that... In churches I've served in the past, we used to have a prayer list, and Wednesday night was classic prayer meeting. It didn't look anything like this. For us, it looked like a, you know, a meal at the, at the church building. And then we would all gather together, and we would be handed a sheet of paper, um, 11 by 17. This thing was this long. Of everybody's prayer, everything they're praying, basically, basically it was a list of how many people had bunions in the church. Um, what, or, or, or gout or whatever it is, right? So it's, we're praying for all these things. And as a kid, I just remember as a teenager for sure, I was like, oh my goodness. And then we would say a few little prayers and then we would, you know, go eat ice cream somewhere. That's not this kind of praying. This is a, hey, listen, we're, we, you know, we're, we're stopping everything we're doing. We're calling our friends together and we're about to, we're about to go to battle. We're about to pray. And we're not watching the clocks, and it's not time for bed, none of that. We, we are persevering in prayer. They prayed with such passion. But they also prayed with persistence. It's the middle of the night, and they're praying. I love this too. Peter is sleeping, but they're the ones praying. Remember that Luke and Acts is a two-volume book. And Jesus taught them how to pray, and many times, even after he taught them the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, he immediately goes to this story about a persistent neighbor. Do you remember it? The guy's in bed with, uh, you know, his family's all around. That's how they would sleep, kind of just all in one big bed. And the neighbor keeps knocking on the door. Hey, I've got some visitors coming over, and I need three loaves of bread, which 
it would have been ridiculous. That's like lavish. That's enough for them to eat for two weeks. But he keeps going and keeps going. And finally, he gets up and brings it to the neighbor. And then just a few chapters later, he tells another story in Luke 18. I don't know if, if we got time to read this real quick. I don't think I have this on the, on the screen. Turn over to Luke 18. The parable of the persistent widow. Again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Many of these disciples now in Acts 12 are in this room. They know what Jesus taught them about prayer. And now they're, they're actually... Um, making this happen. It says in chapter 18 and verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect, and maybe you'd underline this, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus says, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this is an evil judge. He's painting this picture. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, the judge refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. Jesus tells this story and makes this application. Do you hear what the unrighteous judge says? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on earth? Praying with persistence. The point is, in this one and in the other one, is to pray and not lose heart. in order so that they would be reminded that they should pray and not lose heart, he says. He tells them this story. Can we be honest that it's easy to lose heart? Because oftentimes when we pray, we don't see God move immediately, and his timetable is far different than ours, and his view of life is far different than ours, and ours is immediate, a lot of times based around our own comfort and a very limited perspective. And so we pray and God doesn't come through immediately and we pray and God doesn't come through and it's easy to give up and it's certainly easy to lose heart. They were praying with persistence. We don't know what's on the other side of our persistent prayer. As God has burdened our hearts, many of you in this room that he's burdened your hearts for something. Maybe woken you up multiple times in the middle of the night with your heart actually aching for some situation and you respond to him by crying out in prayer and, and prayerfully as you mature, you're, you're more in tune with the Holy Spirit and you even maybe would ask, God, what, what word should I be praying? How should I be praying? And even if we get that part wrong, I love that scripture says that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf, praying things that we don't even know what or how to pray. But many of us just give up. As if God's silence means that he's not interested. As if his delay in moving means that he doesn't care about this. And I would argue the exact opposite of that. If anything, Jesus taught the disciples in multiple occasions in Scripture, not just one, that we should persevere in prayer. I've told the story that I was at breakfast one time with a guy named Hal, 
He was in his uh, probably early 60s. We're having breakfast, me and Hal and this other guy, and he gets a call, a phone call, and he answers it, and he seems concerned, so he goes outside and talks for just a few minutes. He comes back in, he sits down, and he just begins weeping. Me and this other guy just trying to eat our blueberry pancakes. What's going on, Hal? So I just got a call from a buddy of mine. We grew up in school together, elementary and junior high and high school, and I've been praying for him for 50-something years. He called to tell me that last night he gave his heart and life to Christ. Can you imagine praying for someone for 50-something years? Engaging Hal in the story, he just said God placed a burden in my heart early on, and he, this other guy wasn't raised in a Christian home, and he was far from God, and seemed to be moving further until God did this unique and awesome thing in his life and how was just faithful to to just be obedient to persist in prayer just to lift up this guy's name again and again night after night for 50 years can you imagine such a story such dedication such persistence to pray for someone that God would open their eyes to the truth and beauty of the gospel that's what it means to persevere in prayer Not only that, but they prayed in partnership with God. I like this, that they they prayed in partnership with God. What do we find the church praying about in the book of Acts? They're just praying about the mission of God. Over and over, Jesus tells them to go pray for the power of the Holy Spirit because they would never be able to accomplish what he was sending them to do, that he gave them in the Great Commission without the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And so they went and prayed. And then we see them early in Acts 2 as they're gathered together and they're devoted to these things and they're devoted to the mission of God. And so they prayed and they prayed and they continue praying. And we see Peter up on the roof just a few uh, chapters ago and he's praying and God's going to do this unique and incredible thing and Peter doesn't understand. And so he just continues praying and on and on we see in the next chapter, in chapter 13, this early church at Antioch, this, this first you know, uh, trans-global church is taking the gospel to the very corners of the world. We see them gathering together and praying and God says I want you to send two of your best to this other place because they need the gospel too we see that they're just saturated in prayer they're praying around the mission of God John Piper in his book Desiring God has this quote I I love this this has been the image in my mind all week prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances it against the powers of darkness and unbelief It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Did that not convict you as it did me? Most of the time we use prayer as the domestic intercom. Hey God, could you send me some snacks? Hey, hey, God, could you make life a little easier? Hey, God, my, my boss at work is such a jerk. Could you somehow have him fired? Could you somehow make him nicer? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to even pray those things on some level. Even as Jesus taught us how to pray, there is this, there is this uh, 
asking him for what we need and even the things that are heavy on our hearts. I'm not saying that, but primarily prayer is this, is this wartime walkie-talkie, is as we participate with God in his mission of extending his glory and his fame and his renown to the very ends of the earth. And he's placed us on the front lines of this battlefield and he's given us this, this tool, this weapon of prayer. Even as Paul in the book of Ephesians starts talking about the armor of God, he lists all the armor. And we should even take up the sword of the Spirit, and then he says, praying at all times. Like prayer is somehow the way that all these things fit together as we've been sent out as missionaries with the gospel in our minds and our hearts and through our hands that we use prayer to activate the power of the Spirit as it works. They prayed in partnership with God. Praying in partnership with God is marked by boldly praying for the things in the world that aren't right. As we watch the news, as we read the paper, as we see society all around us beginning to crumble. We pray in partnership with God by agreeing, God, that's not right that people live like that. That's not right that people are so evil. That's not right that Satan has so twisted people's thoughts on these things. God, would you make it right? This early church knew it was God's will for the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, regardless of what Herod wanted. It was his intention to kill him as soon as Passover was over. And they weren't sure how it was going to happen. They weren't sure if Peter would make it or not. Remember, some had thought he died. They said, maybe it's his ghost. But they knew that God's purpose was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they got on their knees and they agreed with God and said, God, make it happen. Again, this is how Jesus taught them to pray, petitioning God for things, praying for God's kingdom to come here and now on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in my life, God, and in the nations. This is how he taught them to pray, and this is how exactly they are praying. Now, there's a mystery that, about prayer. If I'm honest, I don't understand The chapter starts out showing us that James didn't make it. That he had already been killed with the sword. There's a mystery about prayer. I I don't understand how and when. I just, I know this, that God has set his kingdom up in such a way that prayer is one of the ways that he advances what he wants to do in the world. Again, I don't know why he set it up that way, but he did. God has said that there are things that he wants to do that he is not going to do until we persevere in prayer for those things. That God chooses to work in response to the prayers of his people. And I believe it's because he loves when his children seek after him. Look at what happens here. More on on some of those other things in the coming weeks, but... Look what happens here to Peter. The chains fell off. It's miraculous to me. The chains just fell off. You know Peter is sleeping good because he has no idea what to do next. The angel has to wake him up and then tell him to put his shoes and his clothes on. His chains fell off. God sent an angel to wake him up. And then they come to an iron gate, it says, and that's just no thing. It just kind of opens in front of them. All of these things supernatural. 
all of these things, Scripture says here, because of the prayers of God's people. Let me end this way. What does your prayer life look like? And again, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad or any kind of way trying to heap guilt upon you. But I think most of us, many of us, maybe I should say, have resigned ourselves to a prayerless life. What does God want to do through you? In your context, what does he want to do through you? What's right in front of you? What is, what is God asking you to do? We heard last week of Jeff starting a little prayer meeting at his work and their break time. And, and through that, God just being incredibly gracious to them and people coming to faith and then that person's family coming to faith. No telling what else God wants to do through you. And he's asking you to take a st- simple step of faith. And it all starts with prayer. It all starts with praying for these people. It all starts with us aligning our heart with God's heart and beginning to pray. Maybe I would ask you this. Who are you praying for? Passionately, persistently, in partnership with God for what he wants to accomplish. Typically, we close our services out with communion, and we're not going to do that today, but I do want for us to pray. You can pray where you're at if you'd like. There'll be some pastors in the back if you'd like to grab one of us by the hand and ask us to pray with you on something. Maybe you've got another friend here in the room that, uh, that you love and adore, and you just want to lock hands or arms with them, and you just want to pray. And there's a lot of things we can pray for. There's... Prayers of confession and repentance, and I think that's a great way to start. And there are prayers of thanksgiving, and certainly you can participate in thanking God for what he's done and he's doing. And there's prayers of intercession. That's what this group was doing, praying for Peter. And we're just going to give you some time to pray there. One of the things I'm asking you to pray about as we start this By Name initiative I want you to write a few names on this card. We're going to give you time to do this now, and you can take it home if you'd like, but I'd really like everyone to walk out of here with one name on this card. This is a burden God's placed in your heart for someone in your context, at work or neighbor, someone crossing your paths that's not a believer, and we're going to intercede for them. Intercessory prayer is, is having one hand like in the heavenly world and one hand in the earthly world, and, and, and we're, 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 we're bridging the gap. We're praying for this person because they don't even know what they should be praying. We're just praying for God to, to turn the lights on for them. To... Jason will share more about this, but let me pray over us. And then we're just going to give you some time to pray, and then the band will sing here in a little bit and close us out. And as you just get still and quiet before the Lord... Certainly in a room this size, there's some people who've never really even crossed a line of faith. This idea of real perseverance in prayer and relationship with God and talking to him through prayer is so foreign to them, so foreign to you maybe. And maybe today, as the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, today's the day of salvation for you that it's time for you to cross this line of faith.
to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Man, there would be no greater day than today to do that. If God's asking you to take that step, would you prayerfully do that? I'd love to hear about it if that's a step that you take. Maybe God's burdening your heart for some sin that you've got in your life. It's a secret sin. You don't even call it a sin. It's just a struggle for you now is what you call it. God's been placing his finger on that for some time, asking you to give that up and repent. Maybe today's the day to do that. Others of you may be just using this domestic intercom as if God's some genie in the sky that's just there to grant us more comfort. Maybe your prayer would be that God would awaken your heart to a wartime mentality. That we've been dropped behind enemy lines and Satan's doing everything he can to wreck marriages, to destroy lives. He said, Jesus said of him that he came to kill and steal and to destroy. And that is certainly what he's doing. He doesn't take a day off. He didn't take a lunch break. He wants to destroy your life and your kids' lives. Maybe we've been asleep at the wheel. God, as we humble ourselves before you and we repent of apathy and mediocrity, it's a numb heart, maybe. Lord, you, we ask that you would fan into flame what once was in our hearts. Lord, would you give us a burden for the loss around us? At work, at school, and neighbors, through networks. Lord, give us a real burden. The kind of burden that wakes us up in the middle of the night. The, the kind of burden that causes tears. The kind of burden that moves us to get off the couch and pray. you fill us with your spirit awaken in us his power and send us out as missionaries it's in Jesus name that we pray amen give you some time to pray again I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone